Can you believe that's happening out in Little Lowell here today? I remember when we planted this church, when I first came in 2004, I just couldn't imagine my wildest dream something like this happening. And yet, this was sort of the vision that God would keep saving souls all over and, and then just fill those souls up as they come to understand the glory of God the Father and just, just be lost in that, caught up in that, start to train their kids in the you know, admonition of the Lord. It's just, it's awesome. I can't even believe it. God, you're so good. Genesis has been revelatory, hasn't it? Yes. I just, even for me, I just look at this with a second glance as I'm reading the devotional and asking myself questions. Are you guys doing the devotional? That costs a lot of money for us to print those things out, and I hope they're just not sitting around and collecting dust. Because we really want our church not to just come for 45 minutes and the only time you eat spiritually all week is just here with me. Like we have the word of God and it's so precious. And I want you to start studying it and you to learn and the Holy Spirit to bring revelation to your heart. But I've just enjoyed lingering a bit in life, as I call it, life before the bite, right? I, I grew up, uh, Baptist, and I still am kind of Baptist in this Wesleyan church, so I suppose I'm a Waptist. <laughs> but in this Waptist theology I have, I believe, you know, in just sort of a reformed idea of faith and that God is sovereign and that he calls us and elects us. I mean, you can't get away from that. And yet I believe in man's capacity to choose and free will and personal responsibility. And I don't know how it all blends together. I'll, f I'll find out in heaven. I'm not wanting to get in an argument. I'm just kind of a hybrid of those two worlds. And it's so wonderful to see the power and majesty and sovereignty and supremacy of Christ without diminishing the glory of God in man fully alive, made in the image of God and this choice that he gave us. We go right to original sin, most of us in theology, and that's where our understanding of God actually finds its roots for many of us here. But there is something more original than original sin, and it's original glory. And because there's only a couple chapters on it, we don't linger there very long because we want to know what happened when, you know, we ate the forbidden fruit and the curses came upon mankind and even creation now groans for the appearing of the sons of God and the glory of God. We can feel that fallenness inside of us. The title of the message today is The Falling Before the Fall. If you can go right in, you can see where Eve took the bite of that fruit and then, you know, fear and shame and hiding came in. But there was a falling before the fall. Did you know there's deception and temptation that happened before transgression? And, and a lot of times what the enemy will do is he'll make us feel shame and make us feel guilt over temptation and deception. And that's what we're trying to fight before the deed is done. Mm -hmm. that's, right. that's not sin. That's where we battle. And there was deception and there was temptation going on before the tribulation of the transgression that we all understand so well. There's something that happens upstream to experience what we feel and think downstream. I know in my life, I mean, I was thinking about myself just even as a little boy and how the enemy 
was patiently working on my heart and introducing me to things, sexually awakening me at age five over at Kenny, Kenny's house, Kenny Fox's house, where he had these playing cards with, with naked women and men on them. And I didn't know what was going on, but that was mysterious. That was intriguing. And I remember kind of growing up and going to my uncle's farm, Uncle Vince, and I'd go down to the milk parlor and down in the milk parlor of the barn, even though they were church going folk, God fearing folk, there was like a calendar with naked women down there. And I'd run down there before we'd have dinner and didn't think anybody knew what was going on. And I remember, you know, at an early age with J.C. Penney's catalogs coming to the house. Do you know the catalogs that are coming to your house? Do you know what little boys like to do with those? They really like the bra section. They're interested in purchasing a bra, you right? No, they're wondering what is this mystery and why at age nine am I intrigued with that? And all of a sudden, you know, maybe a Victoria's Secret comes in and you're like, oh my gosh, these women have wings. This is like heaven. And they're prancing around. You're like, whoa, captivated by that. And then I remember, I think it was every year, Sports Illustrated puts out the swimsuit issue. I think it comes in February. And I remember going out. My dad was a principal at a Christian school. My mom taught there too. I'd get home before they got the mail and I got the mail and then I brought it in and, and I wanted to just throw it in the fire. We had a wood burning stove and I remember coming into the fire. I'm like, this time I'm gonna conquer this. I'm gonna overpower this and open up the fire and I throw it in the wood stove and I close the door and then I go and open the door and I reach in with my dad's leather, leather glove and I blow it off. And then, no, no, no. And I throw it back in as a 14-year-old. I close it and then I reach in and grab it again. It's like Smeagler Gollum, my precious, my own. And then you throw it in and then you're like, ah, I'm glad I did that. I hate that I did that. Here's a part of the story I didn't know until my dad was 61 is the porn that I found under the porch and out in the shed wasn't the previous owner, it was my dad. My dad was in hiding. I remember even asking him down through the years, dad, is there anything generationally, do you struggle with this? Because there's something inside of me, I've struggled with this, no, a little bit, you know, I just wouldn't open up with his own son. So much shame. My dad, when he was 61, he called and he was bawling, my mom was on the phone and he said, Jason, I gotta tell you something. This is gonna reframe your story. I was the one. I punished you as a son for finding the pornography and it was mine. And I'm so sorry. It took 55 years for my dad to come clean. See, there's, there's falling for me way before the fall. You're gonna not even believe this. Last night I go home and I had a message and somebody had DM'd me on my Instagram and they were asking me about the mission trip. And they saw our picture, the guys where we're standing up and there's beauty all around us. And she's like, who are these guys? Smiley face, heart emoji eyes. I'm like, oh, we're on a mission trip down in Swaziland. And I get off of it and I go to bed. I, I thought it was just somebody from the church. I really honestly didn't think, because they weren't, it wasn't spam, it was somebody that was a friend on there. I wake up in the morning, 
And she was coming on to me as like, you look so handsome in this picture. I love this picture. Question mark, question mark, question mark. See, what if Satan didn't really care so much about age five or age 12 in your life or age 18 or maybe you've made it to 38, but what if it's just all a setup for age 48 for me where it all falls apart and I hand over my birthright and my blessing for a bowl of porridge now? See, all the deceptions, misconceptions, all the deceit, all the temptation, it's not sin yet until you give into it. I was thinking about the story, even reading back in Genesis chapter two before getting into chapter three, and I was like, it was so good. The woman was formed out of the man, and the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is actually poetry here. The first words of man was poetry, ladies. I can't communicate, I just, that's not my. We were made to be poets, guys. Don't sandbag on your woman like that. She should be called woman for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife and they become one flesh. He's talking about marriage here. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. This was the perfect ecosystem of mankind. It was beauty, poetry, bone of my bone. There was boundary. Even before the fall, there was boundary. You got to leave your father and mother and have boundary for this thing to work. Harmony, united with his wife. Intimacy, they become one flesh. Honesty, they were both naked and vulnerable and transparent with each other. And there was security. They felt no shame. There was trust. Why wasn't that enough? Why was there still something that the enemy could play on and said, you're missing just a couple things? We move into Genesis chapter three. I'm gonna start in verse one. Now the serpent, that is Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? How many of you hate snakes? Just like, I cannot stand snakes. Cool, I wanna introduce you to a snake here today. Um, and this just came about at the first food packing. Um, this is Liv, everybody say hi, Liv. And um, this is her boa constrictor. What kind is it again? Red-tailed Colombian boa. Red-tailed Colombian boa, really nice. Does this, the snake lovers just love this. Just shed, so maximum beauty right here. This is Nadia, right? And uh, what a beautiful girl you are. Yes, oh yes, you're so nice. Just come slithering out of a tree like this in the Garden of Eden. Can I hold it? Yeah. Whoa, whoa, come back around here, buck, buckaroo. Hey. I can feel you constricting even now. Oh yeah. Right here. This booger right here. Wow. <laughs> and the woman sees this. Wasn't the snake slithering on the ground back then? Many think that the snake had legs. 
But the curse of the snake was to slither on the ground in the dirt the rest of his life. And the snake, yes, you, Nadia. Naughty, naughty, Nadia. (laughs) Nadia said this. Did God really say? Such a bad dad joke right there. I should not have done that. Did God really say? And here we are. Starts with deception and temptation. Can you please take this? He's tightening up here a little bit. Can we give a hand for Nadia and Liv here today? Nobody walked out today, which is awesome. That's wonderful. Awesome. If you want to pet um, the snake, over in Kids Zone, they have a little snake over there that uh, they're introducing to the kids as well. So um, please come back to our church. I, I don't do that every week if that <laughs> freaks you out. See, the first step towards sin is to create confusion and doubt about God's content, what he said, his intent beyond the content, and then the extent of the content. He doesn't start with overt rebellion. His aim at first is always covert deception. You can almost hear him saying in your head, are you sure about that though? Is that really what he said? Okay, so he said that. Did What's going on in our society is we know what God said, but is that what he meant? I mean, he said that, but what he meant, and he didn't know what we know now because we're enlightened. We Western, we, we know more. We, you leave your father and mother because a child has a father and mother, every one of them. And you, you cleave to your wife because marriage is, it's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. But it's all this doubt. Well, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe, maybe the, it's, this is wrong. Maybe God didn't know. Maybe they didn't, man, I don't know. See, it's interesting when Satan goes after, did God really say, he loves to take what God said and where God put a period, he puts a question mark. Did, did God really say, love your enemies? I mean, for real? Yeah. Did did God really say it's more blessed to give than to get? Yeah, he did. Did he really say don't be drunk with wine? Yeah, drunkenness is sin. He didn't say you can't drink. He just said when you get to the point where you're tipsy and drunk. And why did he say that? Because he, one of the gifts of the spirit and the fruits of the spirit is self-control. And one of the other things when you don't have self-control, it's spirit control. That's why I said, don't be drunk with wine wearing as an access or dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. You can't be filled with drunkenness in the spirits that you just drank and also be under the control of the Holy Spirit, living out the fruits of the spirit of self-control. Ah, oh, but I love my beer. Well, God, I think, knows we love our beer and we love our wine. And he said, this far but no further. Did he really say let no unwholesome communication proceed out of your mouth? That's ridiculous. Did he say when he called us to himself, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? Did he say what you do for the least of these you've done unto me? What we're doing with food packing for the least of these, the poor, the alone, 
the widows, the orphans, when you take care of them, Jesus said, you take care of me in Matthew 5. Did he really say, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together? I mean, for real? That's why I don't know. This online thing, I'm glad you're online right now, but I want you to get here because here's different than online. I was not meant to be a pixelated pastor. I'm really handsome and per person, right? No, no, you need humans assembling together. Hmm. Did he really say, forgive those who hurt you and pray for those who despitefully use you? Yep. Did he say, love your wife as Christ loves the church and submit to your husband as unto the Lord? He didn't. Did he say pray for your governing authorities and live at peace with everyone so long as it depends on you? He did. I only pray for the governing authority if it's the one I elected into office. I hate the other side. He's like, no. He had him praying for Nero, who was shish kebabbing Christians, dipping them in oil and lighting the streets with him. Pray for him. Do not even have a hint of sexual immorality or impurity. Really? <sighs> Did he really say honor your father and mother? He did. This is where parents are like, I see that. Now I'm talking to you too. You got to honor your father and mother. And then there's 20% here like, but they're not honorable. But you honor them. You may not respect everything about them. You may not agree with everything. But the Bible says honor them. Did he really say be holy even as I am holy? <laughs> did he really say do not take the Lord's name in vain? He did I think the, the, one of the things that I would work on if you're, you're struggling with swearing, before all the four-letter words and F-word and A-word and D-word and S-word and all this stuff, I would eradicate taking the Lord's name in vain as a first priority. I'd rather you still say the F-word and never again say, oh my God, Jesus Christ, as an expression of hurt or anger, surprise or excitement, that belongs to him. Don't take the holy and make it profane. Amen. Did he really say that though? Yeah. His name is the highest. His name yes. is the greatest. His name stands above them all. Yeah. Did he really say the fool says in his heart there is no God? Mm-hmm. Did he say, I formed you in your mother's womb? He did over and over again throughout the scriptures. Yeah. What he's forming, we don't come in and ruin his masterpiece or his art. That is a human life. At conception, he's starting to form and work out his poem in us. So I read like, and I'm doing some research going into the elections this week, which I would hope you're all doing before you vote. I don't care whether you lean Democrat, Republican, independent, libertarian, whatever you are. I'm not going to speak about all of that stuff. You're thinking human beings. But when I read through proposal three, I don't care what side or persuasion you come from. That's not a political thing. We're talking about a moral and biblical thing there. Amen. And I read through that and I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes me want to vomit. Because I feel like a desire to protect people and I have a desire to speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. So it's not just about what we think and what God, did he really say that? And man, we have a lot of new ideas. I don't care what your ideas are and your ideologies are. Man, proposal three is like, holy cow, how did we get here as a civilized people? Yeah. 
No. And I would say God's looking at that and saying, no stinking way. And I feel myself wanting to vomit. Say, take care of our kids. Did he say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? He did. Did Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father or goes to heaven but through me? He did. That's exclusive. Wow, that's not, he'll warm all hearts in the end and all roads lead to heaven and all gods are really the same thing. They're not. He's the way, the truth, the life. Not a way, a truth, and a life. He didn't think that was arguable. Well, Jesus was the nicest guy. Yeah, but he said some pretty offensive things. It's about inclusion. Now, that seems pretty exclusive. Man, our culture wants to, did God say, did he though mean what he said? He said what he meant and meant what he said. And that steps on my toes sometimes. What we're dealing with here is relativism and pluralism that leads to humanism and secularism. If he can break you down and pluralize and relativize things that are truth, either by taking a little away or adding a little more, he's got you. It's only a matter of time. The serpent, Satan, was more crafty than all the other wild animals. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Here it is. The thing is right here. He uses familiar lingo and language and just changes a couple words in the sentence. Satan always confuses things by only slight degrees of deviation at first. But here's what God actually said. He said, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, not you must not eat from any tree in the garden. He just, all Satan did was instead of you are free to, he added, you must not. But then it goes on, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you eat from it, you will surely die. What's interesting initially is Eve picked up on the first deceptive twist of words and corrected the subtle lie with truth. The woman said to the serpent, well, no, 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 we, we can eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, and she's about ready to say what God said, you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And she added something, and you must not touch it or you will die. And he never said that. Our conscience initially works to correct deception, yet often overcorrects by uh, the lie by adding a little something to what God actually said. One of the initial schemes of Satan is to get us to add more stringent standards than God himself requires so that he can say to us in time, well, you do that too. He wants to take something a little bit away, to shift something around. Or he'll take legalism. Hey, we're going to err on the safe side. We're going to avoid all the appearance of evil. And what that means is God said this, but I'm going to go further than God and add do not touch. Better to err on the safe side. No, it's not. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The whole truth means all of it. And nothing but the truth is not any more than it and not any less than it. And Christians have fallen prey to the lie that God didn't say quite enough. And so we're going to add some more to scripture. God's like, I don't want you to do that. 
goes on, it says, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God knows something. Most sin is birthed from a nagging suspicion of God's motives. As the kids say, God's sus right now, right? We begin to feel that God is holding out on us to keep us from something that will make us even happier. We wonder if he really is good and that if his commands are for our good. The enemy whispers, he knows something he's not telling you because he doesn't want you to X, Y, Z. It's just thinking through this, just some thoughts in the story that came to my mind at this point. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't step in, right, in moments like this and stop something from happening in the world that is going to have a dev- devastating consequence? Have you ever had friends like, how could God allow this to happen? Why wouldn't God come in and just stop that then? Or why wouldn't he fix it? Because right here, he could have stepped in and said, whoa, 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 stop the train. That's a lie. That's a lie. You're starting, the ship's going down. I want to do a course correction here. That's not what he does. He lets us in our free will navigate deception and temptation. This is proof of the for real, I'm putting all my stock in God's, in man's free will. Not you have free will unless you choose to use it for evil, but the kind of free will that doesn't stop bad things from happening because man's choice is paramount to having a relationship with God based on love, not coercion or control. He will let you do something really bad. He's like, well, what about all these people that don't know Christ all over the world? If you go back enough generations, it's somebody that walked away from God and did what was right in their own eyes. And thousands of years later, a whole nation could be paying the price for something generational that started as a deviation where someone made a choice to walk away from God's way. No way. God's way. Another thing that hit me in the passage I hadn't thought about before is even though everything was perfect, God still wasn't always present with Adam and Eve in the beginning. He would leave and come back and what they did in his absence mattered. Again, it goes back to choice. God didn't hold their hand through every move they made. He let them make decisions without micromanagement, without being a helicopter parent, right? They had autonomy and authority to take personal responsibility, whatever the situation, whatever the outcome, they had agency. If God was always present and he's like right there and every time it's like Jiminy Cricket, you know, the conscience, it's like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, let me, let me talk for you here. I'd, if he's always there, then is it really love and is it really a choice? It goes on in verse six, and when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that was another thing. It was meant in the beginning. Do you remember to be good for food and pleasing to the eye? We talked about that. But this desire for gaining wisdom was introduced by the deceiver. Like, you'll be wise. You'll know things God only knows. She took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was right there with her. And he ate it. We can be like, oh, it's the woman that got us into this mess, right? He's right there. And now you have all kinds of other questions. 
Temptation is hard to resist when we don't have good accountability, practical accountability. What is it in the human heart that is more scared of offending people than offending God? When we don't talk through temptation with each other, our demise is only a matter of time. Passivity, indifference, and silence open the door to sin. That human accountability that should have been going on where she's looking at him and, hey, do you hear this? And he's like, that's a little weird. What, what do you think about it? Let's talk through it. What are you feeling? What are you thinking? What's going on inside of you? None of that. The guy's right there. In fact, there's a, a book that was written back in college. I read it called The Silence of Adam by a uh, clinician and a counselor, Larry Crabb. The Silence of Adam. And one of the main points that he made is at this moment in time, Eve made a decision that she, or Adam made a decision that he was more afraid of his wife's opinion than God's opinion. And then he goes into why in the world are we so afraid of our wives? And why do we keep our mouth shut? I just didn't want her to, I just didn't want her to think. And yeah, it was happening even before sin. He's just like, I don't know, I just really love that woman, God, and I, I love you too, but she, I don't know, I'd rather, I'd rather the rest of the world be thrown into utter chaos and depravity than to disappoint her and to make our relationship, you know, sort of tenuous. So I'm going with her. I was studying this this week and started to wonder some things I noticed in the passage, things that if they happened upstream would have changed everything downstream. And I just, when I read the Bible, it's observation, interpretation, and then it's application. So I'm making observations. I'm attacking the text with curiosity and intrigue. What's going on here? These are some things at this point in the story where I stopped and just asked some questions. Why didn't either of them say, don't you think it's weird that we're talking to a snake? Does that seem a little off to you? How many times, like, and it's happening in our culture right now, there's this group think that's happening, the social compliance over everything that's happening, and you don't want to speak up and say, that just feels so wrong. Doesn't that seem weird to you? That's so unnatural, doesn't it? Just common sense. And, and people are like, yeah, but just keep it, keep it quiet or you're going to be canceled and you're going to be deplatformed and demonetized and all that stuff. But nobody wants to say, no, 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 that, this seems weird. This seems screwy. Something's off here, babe. Something's off here, honey. Why didn't they ask each other or God for help? This is all they would have had to do is God. Hey, hey, Adam, can you help me here? It's such a simple step that we often miss as humans. Pride causes us to think we can handle things on our own. We can't and we shouldn't. Amen. Why didn't Adam say anything or do anything this whole time? He's right there, yet remained a non-factor. Why didn't Adam grab a shovel and just take the snake's head off? And you're like, well, they didn't have shovels yet. But you get my point. Like, why didn't he protect her? Why didn't he fight for her? When did he come in? We were made to do that. Don't you hate guys when you feel passivity and silence 
and indifference settling into your life and in a situation that needs you so desperately, you're a non-factor. I hate that. I hate going to bed feeling like you did not factor into the equation today very well. I hate that. I don't want to be that man. Why didn't Eve receive her name until after the fall? Why was she called the woman in this whole section of scripture and how could this lack of identity make her susceptible to deception? See, it isn't until after the bite and after the curses are doled out that we're gonna talk about next week. It says this in verse 20, Adam then named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of the living. And all the way up through this point, he's like the woman and the woman and the woman. And it was the woman, Lord. How many of you would love to be just called the woman by your husband? Why do all the animals get named and somehow this massive oversight happens where she just stays the woman? He gets his name Adam and she has no name. So when you don't have an identity, you don't know who you are and someone else is talking to you, you'll actually start talking to snakes. I always thought when I went to the daddy-daughter dance and I was there and a lot of grandpas were bringing their little granddaughters to dance with them or a lot of dads would come with their daughters and sit on the sidelines and drink punch but not dance with their daughters. I just sat there thinking, these girls are gonna start talking to snakes. If you don't talk to them, he'll talk to them. If you don't cozy up to them and communicate with them, he'll cozy up to them and communicate with them. Which led me to the question, why do our priorities and thus our attention often gravitate from our loved ones to lesser loves? We name the animals but forget to name our wife. Why do we often give the best of ourselves to everyone else and the rest of ourselves to our families? They get the leftovers. The worst name you can give your wife is afterthought. Oh, I thought about everything else and you're an afterthought. No. Why didn't they communicate? What if not communicating with your spouse makes them more likely to talk to snakes, other voices of validation, and to entertain Satan's lies? Where did that poet go over time? The same one that was a master communicator in the next chapter is saying nothing, silent. Maybe, just maybe, the whole world still hangs in the balance of simple, straightforward conversations about tensions and temptations that happened before the transgressions. Goes on, verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together that they grabbed off of the nearby foliage and made coverings for themselves, right? You've seen the pictures in the flannel graphs in Sunday school, right? The first reaction to sin is to find elaborate fig leaves and to begin a lifestyle of cover-up. Nobody had to teach them to act this way. Our fear of exposure scares us into privacy and secrecy instead of confession and repentance. And I just, I wonder what it would have been like if at age seven, when, a bun, when one boy brought a playboy into our Christian school and all the boys were in the bathroom looking at the playboy. I wonder what would have happened if some of the deacons or my dad or the pastor would have spoken to me and said, hey, when I was younger, I had the same temptations. Yeah. 
You guys aren't freaks of nature. You're not a bunch of little perverts. You just have desires that need a steering wheel. And you need to know when to hit the accelerator and when to hit the brake, boys. No, it's get in that office, get scared spitless, be sent home from school for two weeks, and then you come back and nobody talks to you. When later you find out the same deacons that executed the situation with all of these boys, one was literally fondling his own sons and went to prison. Another one was found at a strip club two towns away. Another one had a son who was gay. There's all kinds of sexual things going on. And with my dad, why are you hiding behind fig leaves, boys? Hmm. We all hide behind elaborate fig leaves. It could be hiding behind a sense of humor, hiding behind success, hiding behind money, hiding behind busyness, hiding behind our image where we look like we've got it together, or maybe just distractions, or you hide behind hobbies. You can even hide behind serving God, making sure you're so busy serving God, no one would think that you have a den of vipers inside of you and your whitewashed sepulcher. You just wouldn't think it because they're so busy doing God's work. They're literally hiding behind God in ministry. And they are so busy asking you what they can do to help you that you never get to ask them a question about their life. That's part of the point is to keep you away from their soul. Goes on. Verse eight, and the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Nothing's changed. The next reaction to sin is fear and hiding. The fig leaves that we make for ourselves to hide from each other do not take away the isolation and insecurity we feel inside spiritually. We can't hide from the God of the Bible who is always pursuing us with the question, where are you? You can't lie to God. He sees right through your fig leaves. This morning he does. Because fig leaves work for people, but they don't work with a holy God. That's why he ultimately had to send his son to cover us with his blood and his name so that we could go to heaven. Because all of our covering is insufficient for the holiness of God to be in relationship with him. He goes on and says, he said, who told you you were naked? It's one of my greatest God quotes in the Bible. Another great t-shirt. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, well, the woman you put here with me, and she gave me some fruit from the tree, and and of course I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what's this you've done? And the woman said, well, the, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Who told you we're naked? It's such a powerful, loaded question. It's like, who who got to you while I was away from you? Because our last conversation, you're acting in a way someone got to you since I last talked to you. Who told you that? I didn't tell you that. Who who you been talking to? Have your kids ever come home from school before and they say a word or a phrase and you're like, where did you hear that? Where, where, but where? From who? 
Which friend? You know, you just start going down through. Who told you? You haven't heard that in this house. Or maybe they're like, I heard it from you, dad. Ooh, that's a different one. God's like, who got to you? You didn't hear that from me. I haven't talked to you since I last left. Who have you been talking to? Who got to your heart? What conversations you been having? Who told you were naked? See, our tendency when we sin in this passage puts it out beautifully. First is to cover up and to feel shame. Second is to feel fear and to hide. And third is to get defensive and to blame. To abdicate responsibility. So it wasn't me not to own it. One thing that struck me in this passage is that Adam and Eve never felt godly sorrow and never said sorry for what they did. They tried to figure out ways to avoid asking forgiveness by constructing clever justifications and rationalizations and deflections. How many times do you go through a conflict with people even close to you and do absolutely everything but apologize? You know, I'll be in a fight with my wife sometimes and we will go through and we will make reparations and we'll kind of just own little things, but I will never say to her, and for some reason, it's the most difficult thing to say, is I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Never happened in this passage. It's deflections, dodging, deviation, hiding, fig leaves, I mean, it's just, and then it comes, and, what, what have you done? When did, did you do this? And it's like, no, it, it, it was, um, it, it was the, it was the woman, Lord. I don't even know her that well yet. <laughs> I didn't know this about her. It's the woman, Lord. It's, it's always someone else, isn't it? And then if you look closely on this passage, it's the woman you put here with me. It's the woman, Lord, but it's your fault too, God, because you put her here with me. I didn't ask for her. I just was looking with lonely eyes at the creation around me. And you said it's not good for me to be alone, didn't you? And then you made that, that woman out of my, my rib cage. It's you, Lord. It's you did. You put her here with me. So it's her, but it's, it's, it's not me. It's, it's you too. And then he goes to, to what happened? What, what happened? And she's like, uh, it was the servant, Lord. Here are the three things. Nobody taught him this. It wasn't like my dad taught me or this is my great-grandpappy or my forefathers. None of that's happening. None of this is generational sin yet. They knew that the first thing you do is blame each other, blame God, or blame Satan. Satan made me do it. It's right there. So just to close up, just some thoughts, some application, some questions. What good things do you have that you're taking for granted, making you vulnerable to Satan's deception that you deserve more or need more? I think contentment and gratitude, man, just takes away the flirtation with the enemy, the seduction of the enemy, the lure of sin. But he always is gonna, did he really say? And he just doesn't want you. He, he's holding out on you. You deserve more. There's something you don't got and he isn't giving it to you and you need to find out why. He's holding out on you. He doesn't have your best interest at heart. 
What is one temptation that Satan is causing or using to lure you and to get you to bite? And right now it might be just the alluring stage or maybe you've already bitten. Here's the thing, you can still reverse course. Now through Christ, you can actually reverse the curse and live in freedom again. Even if you've gone and, and it went beyond you know, temptation and, and it went beyond deception and it went right to you know, transgression and you've committed the deed, you've bitten the forbidden fruit, you can still turn to God and say, God, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? You don't have to be like Adam and Eve. Do you have anyone in your life that provides conversational accountability? If not, who is the person you could ask this week to hold you accountable? If we just would have more conversation, I think temptation would lose its power. When you sin, is it your inclination to cover up with fear, shame, and hiding? How can you move toward confession, repentance, and forgiveness? Where are you blame shifting right now in your life and refusing to take courageous ownership? Mature people own their mistakes. Immature people never take personal responsibility for their behavior. Just own it. It's a way better slogan than just do it. Just own it. Swallow your pride. Eat humble pie and own it. It's not them. It's not God. And it's not Satan's fault. It says in James chapter two, I believe we sin when we're led away by our own sinful desires. And then he goes in to the beginning of the gestation and it starts with deception. And when we start to entertain it, then it is conceived and it gives birth to sin. But the gestation period is, is all us. And then when we go to the nth degree, it gives birth to destruction and sin. And lastly, where are you silent, passive, and indifferent right now, which is putting the lives who depend on you in danger? What simple conversation do you need to have with someone this week to prevent a devastating decision or action? I didn't do this last night, but I just, again, I'm thinking about just the next generation fighting for our kids. We cannot allow the church to be the place with a bunch of grown-ups who are really cover-ups. We just cannot do it. Have the conversation with your spouse. Have conversations with your kids. If you don't talk to them, the enemy is more than happy to take your place in the conversation. If you're struggling with all these things, whether it's the gestation period or you're really neck deep right now in pure evil, I want you to know there's no shame in this place. Come to the Lord. He will forgive you. He loves you. His son died for your sin so that you could be covered with the righteousness of his son. Do not pass on that deal. We cannot be a church in our communities and with our neighbors and in our families where our kids and our community watch fraudulent behavior with a bunch of fakes who are trying to make like they're not struggling with the same stuff they are. And the more humility we have and the more we just out ourselves, the freedom of God just takes over spreads like a wildfire. Because people are looking for love. People are looking for honesty and they're looking for truth. Not less of it, not more than it. The whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help you, God. All right, we got a little bit of a bit of house cleaning as we get out of here because we got a bunch of tables in there and that 
maze out there is gonna just swallow us whole if we let it. Um, if you've got kids, you can go to Kid Zone and grab them. But if you don't have any chillins in this place to grab over there, if you could go out the side door, that'd be great. And if you want to stick around, make sure you stick around in here for a little bit of fellowship and, um, and, and hang time. But make sure you let the parents go get their kids because there's probably, based on the room, about 200 kids over there that need to be claimed uh, by someone. Um, and I was going to pray, but it looks like everybody's uh, done. So we love you, God. Thanks so much for what you've done in this place today. Your commission. Have a great day.